0: I'm grateful for the privilege to uh, bring the word to you this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. And we'll be reading all eight verses. Of David, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me, my strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Please join me as we open our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your goodness to us. Lord, help us this morning to understand your word. We ask that not only our minds, but that also our hearts would be impacted by your word, by your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great joys and blessings of my time at seminary has actually been working part-time at, uh, at a retirement village, Meadowbrook Village. Some of you are actually employed there as security guards. I happen to be a maintenance person, and so my job is sometimes, uh, while it's a joy, sometimes it, it can be uh, a little messy. Uh, if you, if you want to hear some good stories about uh, uh, being a plumber and, and sewage, then maybe I could tell you those uh, some other time. But one of the great joys about this job is being able to serve uh, the elderly residents there. And I've noticed a common theme, even though these residents are experiencing particular struggles that come with old age, um, I've seen exhibited through them a joy and thankfulness to the Lord for His work in their lives. Even amidst great and unfathomable Trials. Some have lost spouses of 50 plus years. Some are battling illnesses and cancer, strokes. And yet, many of them, I've been blessed to get to know some of them, and they have this joy and resiliency and thankfulness to the Lord. Um, and that's really what we see when we get to Psalm 138 here. David is expressing, even amidst great trial, a thanks to the Lord for the work that He's done and for who He is. So, we're going to look at this. This psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. Um, we're going to look at this, this kind of the thesis, big point, big picture of this text is, is this. Because God is both high and low in Jesus Christ, we can humbly give thanks to God. And confidently trust in his steadfast love. So we're going to look at this in two points. Uh, pretty, pretty simple points. Both God is high and God is low in Christ. So point so point one, his highness. Notice when we get to verse one of the psalm, we see David's posture. And, and I want us to see two things he displays in the first couple of verses and, and throughout the psalm as well. Two things, boldness and humility. Look at verse 1. Before the gods, I sing your praise. See, he displays this measure of boldness, a confidence in the one true God, even amidst these pagan deities, those gods that can't even compare to the one true God. This calls to mind uh, the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, where Moses says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness and awesome in glorious deeds? Here, David is proclaiming a, quite, a very similar thing, that none of these gods can compare to the glory and might and majesty of the Lord. But also notice David's humility. He has both confidence and humility. Humility in verse 2, he bows down to the Lord and to his holy temple. And this act of of worship, this bowing down, is really the ultimate uh, display, the ultimate act of lowering one's standard before a greater being. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see men, nations, kings, bowing before the Lord. In verses 4 and 5 of this psalm, David says that all the kings of the earth will give thanks and sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is high and lifted up. And you know, not not only mankind bows before the Lord, but we're told in Scripture, even the heavenly beings, these great and awesome creatures, they bow down to the one true God with their faces touching the ground. Who is like this God? There is none other that approaches glory. There's another thing about this this God. Not only is 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 He high and lifted up, hidden from us in His in who He is in Himself, but there's this nature that there's there's this idea that we as finite beings cannot comprehend God. We cannot even our highest and loftiest thoughts about who who God is fall massively short of who God is in Himself. He's unsearchable and incomprehensible. And there's another thing, we're, we're also sinners. Because of the fall, and because of the corruption of our flesh, though we were created to enjoy this communion with this most high God, because of sin, there's a, a chasm that exists, and um, a natural chasm, and distance We're finite and sinful beings. There's, there's two things in the psalm, and they're kind of held in tension here. On the one hand, God is high and lifted up, unsearchable. But at the same time, God has created us in a way where we can understand truth, and particularly God has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand He's accommodated to himself to us. So these these two ideas are held in tension. He's both unsearchable but knowable to us. This God is so high that he has to tell us who he is. See, he's unlike the gods, the pagan gods, who utterly depend upon their worshipers to, uh, to establish their identity. What they are, who they are like, are utterly dependent upon their worshipers. But the Lord is not like that. He reveals himself to us. And David points out two things. He, he points out that God reveals himself through his name and his word in verse 2. And we see, we, we see this interesting thing where in verse 2 he talks about giving thanks to the name of the Lord or the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. Now we could say that the the Psalms are, are covenantal, but this here is particularly covenantal language. The name of the Lord, the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord calls to mind Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, in an amazing scene, the Lord descends to, down to Moses on Mount Sinai and says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord to you. So here we have the Lord proclaiming the name of the Lord to Moses. What does he say? He says this He says in Exodus 34, verse 6, he, uh, the Lord says to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You hear that? This God who reveals himself to us, though so high and lifted up, he reveals, himself, he reveals himself to us as a loving and merciful God, as a God who forgives sin and iniquity. And like David, we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to be thankful for his love toward us, his mercy toward us. This eternal, incomprehensible God fixes his gaze upon weak people, weak sinners like you and me. It's an amazing thing. So God is high and lifted up. That brings us to our second point. His lowness in Christ you know many atheists there's there's an atheist argument that goes something like this If God created this universe this vast enormous universe that we don't even know if it ends just keeps going if there is a god and created and he created this universe why in the world would he care about a speck like you Not only is that foolish but that's also kind of arrogant to think that and friends even even we as Christians we sometimes are tempted to think this way in a similar way we're tempted to think that God really doesn't care what's going on in our lives. He doesn't really care about how we're obeying him and and he certainly sometimes we feel like he doesn't care about our problems that he's distant from us. But the psalmist here, the amazing thing about the psalmist in verse 6 is he anticipates this objection. He goes on and on about the highness and loftiness of the Lord, but then he says in verse 6, really a word of comfort, he says, for though the Lord is high... He regards the lowly. Psalmist is saying, don't be tempted to, for a second to think that he doesn't care about you. That he doesn't love you. Friends, this God loves us with a love that we can't even fully comprehend. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians that the love of God through Christ even surpasses knowledge. It's so big that we can't fully grasp the nature of God's love. But we see it manifested in Christ. And how does God ultimately regard the lowly? Verse 6. Well, God res- regards the lowly by becoming lowly in Christ On a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. You see, we can't actually see the highness of God. It's too lofty for us. It's hidden from us. But we see Jesus. We see the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We see Jesus the servant. We see Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, who died for us. It doesn't, it doesn't get any lower than that. It literally does not get any lower than dying and be bar- being buried in a tomb. And yet this is what our Savior has done for us. He regarded the lowly by becoming low himself. And and the great news is that we know in Scripture that Jesus didn't stay low. Paul tells us that he was exalted in his resurrection by the Spirit. And he was the one who passed through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And friends, you and I, though we are sinners, we aren't left left to be low. For though we have died with Christ, we have also been raised with Christ. We have been united to Him by faith through the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul can say that even now, Christians are united to Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Christ became low so that we might be lifted up and seated with him in glory. Well, we talked about earlier David's posture in this psalm, it's one of humility and and confidence. There's this this great confidence here that David expresses. When I called to you, in the day that I called to you, you answered me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hands against my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. There's this great both humility and confidence in David, and what David saw from a distance, what he greeted from afar, we see in clarity. How much more ought we to be thankful? How much more ought ought we to have humility and confidence in Christ? We approach God in humility because we recognize that we have done nothing to contribute to the grace that is found in Christ. We acknowledge that nothing that we have done merits our favor before God. It is a gift, and we simply accept this gift by faith, knowing that outside of Christ, there is no hope in ourselves. We also look humbly, we also approach God in humility because we see the great cost of our sin on the cross the great cost of Christ's precious blood but you know there's 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 still this this tension this problem and it's it's this why does it often feel like we're still low that may be a question you may be asking, why does it still feel like at times I still, I still feel low? Even though Christ is resurrected, we're united to Christ, seated with Christ, why sometimes do I still feel low? Well, one of the things that, as you know, seminary does is it, it has a tendency to expose how, how little you do know once you come here. And I know I can relate to that. Sometimes we feel low, don't we? And many times that's because we, we struggle with the realities of living in this sinful world. There's still suffering all around us. There's still pain. There's still stresses of, of getting everything done in time for the seminary. There's still stresses of what's going to happen after we graduate. And there's this constant war against the lusts of the flesh. It's that tension that we feel of still having sin around us and in our lives. But friends, take heart. In Christ, God has given us the final decisive victory over sin and death. And this ought to give us confidence, like David. In 1066, there was a great battle. It's the Battle of Hastings. Massive battle in England between the conquering Normans and the Anglo Saxons who were native to England. And this was the decisive battle. And many times when you have a war, there's one can look to a decisive battle that decides the, the fate of the war. The Battle of Hastings was what one such battle that although after this great decisive battle there were some skirmishes, it wasn't the last battle, it was the decisive battle. And after this battle, the victorious Normans could fight The rest of these small skirmishes with great confidence, with great boldness. There's this confidence that comes with soldiers knowing that the war is ultimately won. There's great boldness that comes with that. And friends, just like that, Christ has dealt the decisive blow against sin and death. He did this on the cross by His resurrection. And this victory has been won, it is sure. But for now, there's still skirmishes. There's still battles against the lusts of the flesh. And there's still suffering and pain and stress. But take heart, the war has been won against sin and death. And just like David in verse 7 but he says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. That can be our great confession as well. That you, O Lord, will fulfill your purposes for me. Verse eight. And at last, his great confession at the end of verse eight. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. May we have the confidence of the psalmist. May we have the humility of the psalmist. No matter what is going on in our lives, may we rest in the victory of Christ. May we trust in the work that he is doing in our lives because he will perfect that work in us, in Christ. As we close here, Psalm 138 gives us words to articulate our thankfulness to the Lord. And it's a blessing that we have words like this that God has given us. He is high and exalted. Friends, humble yourself before the Lord, for he regards the lowly. And be confident in Christ's victory, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love for us. Help us to remember what you have done for us in Christ. Help us never to lose sight of that great truth, Lord. We thank you that you hear our prayers and sustain us. We ask that you would continue to sanctify us by your Spirit and embolden us to proclaim your name and your word as ambassadors and stewards of your gospel. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.